You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. With me is the co-head of Thematic Equity at 91 in London. And the reason for that is we're going to have a look at commodities, but start specifically with the energy sector. The energy sector outlook as the world transitions or starts to transition away, I thought, from oil and gas. Tom Nelson. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the oil price is shooting the lights out, as they say. Two years ago, it was mired below $20, $15 a barrel for Brent crude. And then suddenly, a few days ago, it got close to $90 a barrel. So it's a difficult balancing act to achieve here between should we have a look at oil, even though it's going to not be a part of our super long-term portfolios, or can we ignore the short-term moves? I think it must be very difficult for you. Well, Lindsay, I think you've put your finger on a very interesting point here, which is that of time horizon. And when people say to me, how should we be thinking about the energy sector or can this outperformance of energy stocks continue or perpetuate, even in a world where there are tremendous sensitivities around environmental damage and emissions, etc.? The answer is you've got to think about time horizon. In the near term, oil and gas companies will continue to be extremely sensitive to moves in oil and gas prices. And when you look at lower levels of spare capacity in oil markets, you look at inventory levels coming down, you look at demand recovering, you look at increased discipline from the shale industry and overall lower investment levels, you can quite easily paint a constructive picture for oil prices and for gas prices on a short to medium term basis. However, for those looking further ahead, I think we can say with reasonable confidence that $90 is not going to be a long term oil price. And that's where it's really interesting. So at at these sort of price levels, a lot of listed oil and gas companies are going to continue to generate a lot of cash flow and put up strong financial results. Looking further ahead, these businesses have got to change because they are enormous emitters. And if they continue to focus exclusively on oil and gas, they are going to get left behind. How do you reconcile yourself to the fact that you want to be part of this this booming energy sector, which has been in place now, as I said, for a couple of years, and even, even before that, certain other types of energy were doing very well indeed. But uh, so you want to participate in the upside for various um, assets. But on the other hand, you look at something like the Norway Sovereign Wealth Fund, which has said, no, no more fossil fuel investments at all. And that must be the sort of a benchmark. I mean, it's not exactly a small fund. And therefore, are you tempted to say, right, doesn't matter what the short and medium term returns are going to be, we have to embrace ESG when it comes to these investments? I think, in all honesty, Lindsay, I think that the reality and the, the attitude towards not just oil and gas companies, but a lot of heavy, traditional heavy emitting sectors. I think these attitudes are changing. I think the investment community broadly is moving more towards a position of collaboration, of engagement, of heightened scrutiny and pressure, and recognizing that while it's undoubtedly true that these companies have historically been enormous emitters and they have historically not behaved in a responsible way in the context of climate change. But we have to work with them to move them 
if you like, into the light or to move them forward, because that's how we're going to solve the problem. It doesn't mean, by the way, that they're going to be investable for everyone. And we must be very clear about that. There will be specialist sustainability strategies for whom extractive industries or oil and gas in particular will be uninvestable. And, and that's because the, if you like, the negative externality, the negative impact on the environment and the risk of destruction of value around that uh, is simply too large. We absolutely recognize that. But I think in broad market terms, leaving aside specialist sustainable strategies in broad market terms, I think attitudes here are on the move and we have to double down and work with these companies to make them more responsible corporate citizens at an overall level. Yes, indeed. So you can still invest in that company, but you have to say, right, unless you change your practices drastically, then, you know, we will have to rethink that policy. But I must say that 91 and its previous iteration, whom I've been speaking to for many, many years, has been at the forefront of sustainable investing, hasn't it? That's right. We're very proud of what we've been able to achieve so far. We call to mind particularly strategies that we've launch like the Global Environment Fund that invests specifically in companies that will drive decarbonisation. But we recognise as well that there's an enormously long way to go. This is going to take many, many decades and the net zero and broader decarbonisation and responsible stakeholder capitalism imperative is going to persist for a long, long time. So it's no time for self-congratulation. It's it's a time to double down and do more and ensure that sustainability is really at the heart of our business at an overall level here at 91. I always know that something's going on. We're either at the beginning of a trend or at the end of a trend when I notice the business stories jump from the business pages of a quality newspaper to the first two or three pages. And I saw it the other day in one of the broadsheets in London. And it was talking about the not demise, but the underperformance of, as they called them, high-flying tech stocks versus value stocks. And they said value stocks, for example, banks and oil companies. Do you think that'll continue? Well, it comes back to what I said earlier about horizons and, and investment timeframes. When we think about, if you like, the traditional characteristics of the listed energy sector, People think about cyclicality, they think about leveraged oil and gas prices, inflation plays, decent dividend payers. But that listed oil and gas or listed energy sector sits squarely in, in the value bucket. And we are at the moment, and it's not, by the way, the first time in recent years, but we are in the grip of a, a very strong, very marked rotation the duration or the longevity of these rotations is, as always, incredibly hard to forecast. But I think it's reasonable to say, based on the backdrop of oil prices that we talked about a little bit earlier, mm. and looking at prevailing market multiples, both on an absolute basis for listed oil and gas companies and relative to history and relative to broader markets, that they look attractive at this point. But it does come with a a health warning in the sense that two health warnings, in fact, one that I don't believe that oil prices will persist at these elevated levels for the long term. So at some moment, we are going to get a dramatic move lower. 
That's the first point. And, then, and the second point is that within the listed energy space and, and specifically listed oil and gas companies, we would encourage a very, very strong stock selection discipline. In other words, we think that this transition will be pretty Darwinian, that some oil and gas companies will make it. Uh, they will evolve towards low carbon opportunities. They will diversify their businesses. They will maintain fortress like balance sheets. They will probably pay slightly lower dividends than they did in the past, but they will be able to make that, if you like, that evolution. And, and some of them won't. And for those that can't, it's going to be very, very nasty. And so there is a sense here of caveat emptor, because, as I say, oil prices w won't stay at $90 forever. And there will, be, there will be listed companies in this space that don't make it. But for as long as oil prices are where they are, and for as long as people want to buy, quote unquote, value stocks, super cyclicals, et cetera, et cetera, get leverage to inflation, get leverage to supply chain disruptions and all these things, then there's every reason to think that listed oil and gas companies can continue to perform strongly for the foreseeable future. The fascinating thing about the so-called transition from oil and gas and other fossils, as well fossil fuels that is, is that it means an opportunity for other commodities within a broader commodity basket, for example, copper, for example, platinum group metals. So out with the old and in with the new in some instances. Well, that's another angle or component of this broader commodity and, and natural resources conversation, which is the sense that companies and parts of the market within mining in particular which historically have been perhaps tarred with the same brush, are actually emerging as key participants and key enablers of the transition. And I think this is now pretty well understood in the market. Uh, if, you, if you talk to anyone about long-term demand trends for copper, then the concept of the electrification of everything is clearly you know, a central factor in that long-term demand conversation or consideration. Uh, nickel is very interesting in that regard. Clearly, lithium prices have been going pretty stratospheric. Zinc is interesting. So there's a sort of transition enablers component to all of this, which is particularly relevant, I think, within the mining industry. And you see it when you look at the, the long-term strategic presentations given by large diversified mining companies. They want to talk about future materials, battery metals, transition materials, etc. It's, it's, it's a complete step change from, uh, if you like, the copper, iron or coal narrative of, of five plus years ago. So I think the role that broader commodities can and need to play in that energy transition is really fascinating and is, is something that we are all going to become pretty accustomed to. Uh, in, in the years and decades ahead. It's going to be an enticing prospect uh, that the mix of commodities and which ones in five years' time when we have another conversation perhaps we'll say, well, look what oil did. When we were speaking, it was $87.50. Now look at it, it's $15.50. And look where copper is and uh, lithium, etc. So it's a difficult question, but I'm going to pose it to you anyway. Next year, or rather this year, 2022, that's, that's a very sh short-term prediction I need, but longer-term uh, where are you positioning yourselves at 91? So we, in our diversified resources strategy, the global natural resources strategy, we typically 
allocate across three main areas. We have energy, including renewable energy and decarbonisation companies. We have mining, including both basin bulks, but also precious metals. And we have agriculture. And actually, interestingly, we haven't talked much about agriculture here, but you know, within the agriculture space and listed agriculture companies, there are also interesting areas that play to the transition and to the broader decarbonisation theme. When we look across those three areas, in terms of our current allocations, we don't have a significant over or underweight in either of those three at this point in time, i.e. energy, mining and agriculture. But what we do have is very active stock selection within each of them. And that, to a considerable degree, plays to the earlier comment I made about winners and losers within each of the key areas. But to give an example, within listed energy, uh, within the oil and gas companies, we, we continue to have a strong preference for the European oil and gas majors, such as BP, Total, Shell, etc., versus their US counterparts and competitors uh, like Exxon and Chevron. And that's based on overall business mix. It's based on the longer term energy transition strategies. And it's based on valuation, uh, where we find the opportunities in the European names, in most cases, much more compelling. So that's the overall structure of the portfolio today. And there is an increasing mindset within the portfolio management team of the strategy around this this idea of enablers. In fact, really of two core concepts. One, that heavy emitters can actually decarbonize their businesses at above market average rates by virtue of where they start. So they have a key role to play in this decarbonization and this energy transition because they start as some of the most pollutive. And then the second pillar is is really this concept of resources companies as enablers of the transition, which, you know, as recently as three or five years ago, I don't think was well understood by the market. I think the market is is accelerating into that opportunity. We've seen some of the price action. So we're very excited, actually, about the outlook on both of those fronts. Um, and that's, that is the philosophy around the strategy going forward. You sound excited and I hope your excitement is justified by market behaviour over the next year and beyond. Tom, thank you very much for your analysis. That was Tom Nelson, co-head of Thematic Equity at 91, based in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.